<laughs> right, so this brings us then, I want to just talk a tiny bit about the development of the eye. And um, the, at, the, at its most basic, the eye really consists of a few cells sort of lying around and uh, responding to light, basically. And then the eye gets a bit more complicated because it forms a cup. Uh, this, this is now a sophisticated sort of aid and basically started life out of the salad uh, bowl from Woolies and <laughs> then acquired through spontaneous sort of non-random mutilation. It lost its lid and it acquired a white form. And uh, you'll, some of the, if I do this and some of you are close by, you'll be able to see that there's light and dark. The edges are creating dark. And so you've got a kind of rudimentary eye. It can sense light and dark. It doesn't see very well, but as it drags a, a nautilus or some kind of primitive creature along with it, uh, it can kind of function uh, perhaps a little bit. The nautilus, of course, sees much worse than an octopus. And uh, today, an octopus sees about 100 times better and it's got a fairly sophisticated eye, such as we'll see down over here. Uh, Darwin, of course, when he started to think about his ideas, uh, was a little bit worried about the eye because he kind of thought, well, this is a very complicated and very perfect type of structure. And, you know, did this fit in with his ideas? And then he had a few beers and he sat down and <laughs> thought about it and he thought, well, you know, given enough time, uh, the eye could actually evolve and, uh, you know, get to where it needed to go. But basically to get, and it's been estimated that to get from this very basic eye to an eye like a human eye or an octopus eye, you only really need about 400,000 to 500,000 years, which seems like a very long time, but when you think that the Earth has been around for 4.6 billion years and life has been on the Earth for 3.5 billion years and bacteria have been around for, I don't know, 3 billion years, then 500,000 years is not actually so bad. And this will allow the eye to develop. Um, in the most primitive form, this is already quite a sophisticated eye because you can see here it's got a cup, it's got a little pinhole because uh, some of these primitive eyes, of course, would have been born with deeper uh, cups or with narrower sort of openings and occasionally there would have been a film across and everybody would have laughed at the creature but the film would have protected the eye and uh, would have been a useful act, uh, innovation or development in terms of uh, creating more human or more uh, the types of eyes that we're familiar with. Uh, this, of course, the octopus eye here, you can see, is already pretty sophisticated. It's got an eyelid here. It's got a cornea, transparent cornea. It's got a lens, which is more spherical in the eyes, but it has muscles in the ciliary body here, which can change this lens. And it's got an iris here, which can sort of uh, open and close the aperture and in that way regulate uh, light. One of the interesting things about uh, this, this particular type of eye is that the photoreceptors, the light-sensitive receptors on the other front of the retina, whereas in our case, in the human eye and, very, and other vertebrate-type eyes, it's further back, it's closer to the, 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 the pigmentary layer, and we'll come back to that a little later and what, it, uh, what its significance is. All right, now, here's the sort of uh, simple sort of eyes, and of course you've got trilobites, which have been around for about five, five uh, from that early sort of Cambrian cave, uh, Cambrian, Cambrian period, so around about 500 million uh, years back. So these trilobites were living, and they like they like um, beetles, and they have these sort of insect-type uh, compound eyes, which we're about to look at. And they've been around for about 500,000 uh, years, 500, 500 million years. Um, of course, the eye being soft doesn't preserve all that well, and so we don't have much of a, a record as we go further back in time. All right, so this is then the simplest sort of eye, this uh, simple sort of compound eye. Uh, what's called a crystalline cornea is actually a lens. So what's happening here is the light is coming through the cornea here, through the lens, and the lens here is in a position. It's touching the receptor here. 
And so and, and an insect wouldn't have a, a, only one of these. They're going to have something like in the dragonfly about 28,000 and in the ant a few hundred of these types of eyes. So it's a compound type eye and I'll show you a picture of it in a little while. Um, but basically um, it hasn't got a fantastic vision but you can see here that uh, the eye can pick up uh, large objects and a little bit of detail here and there and tell the difference between light and shade. And so for diurnal insects it's pretty satisfactory for some of these other aquatic animals here. But um, in terms of the superimposition sort of compound eye, you've got a, a nice innovation because some of these eyes would have had a space here between the sort of cornea lens and the uh, light-sensitive layer, basically. And what that means is that light from adjacent sort of facets or lenses can stimulate the same receptor, and that allows that receptor to collect more information and to uh, allow the eye to have a better light resolution and light perception and so forth. And so nocturnal in, uh, insects, for example, would have something like that type of eye. So this is then the, the typical sort of compound sort of eye. Uh, you have this creature here, which is, uh, hasn't got its eyes even in its head. It's sitting on stalks, which is quite nice because occasionally something might eat, eat the eye. And if you're lucky, the eye can regenerate. If I'm not quite sure if the eye does regenerate, but if it can, then this is a useful sort of thing to have. Um, uh, one of the other nice things here is that this type of creature, as simple as it seems, it has 16 different types of color receptors, whereas we only have three. So a far more sophisticated eye can sense polarized light, it can sense um, ultraviolet, uh, they don't think it senses infrared, it's autofluorescence when it needs to and it measures what the wavelengths of light out there and sort of autofluorescence in relation to its environment. And so it's, it's got a very sophisticated sort of light sensing system, basically. basically. Um, so you get all kinds of creatures, and although it seems as that there's this huge diversity across all these different uh, organisms, you also need to keep in mind that there's commonalities, and most eyes will have a light sensitive layer. And there's certain genes, like the PAC6 gene, which is a kind of master gene which controls uh, uh, arm um, morphogenesis and essentially where the position of the eyes in the head and so forth. And so it looks as if there's a huge diversity and there is, but there's also a lot of commonality across uh, species that seem very odd. And you'll find this PAC6 gene in mice to, to the octopus to humans to uh, fruit flies and various other things as well. Uh, spiders are quite interesting because they can range from having no eyes at all, they live in the dark with no light at all, uh, to having only two eyes, to having eight eyes. And they have here, you can see the eight eyes here, and then here's an uh, attractive creature with two over there and two over there, another four little ones over there, and you get squids which have eyes looking up and down and all sorts of strange things going out there, but never mind. Back to the spiders. Uh, so, so they've also got one quite useful sort of innovation as well, um, besides being able to operate uh, in all kinds of environments, they've got this layer of crystals behind the retina. And so light will pass through, stimulate the photoreceptors, hit this reflector layer, go back through the photoreceptors. And so, again, it helps them to attract or to uh, accumulate more information and see a lot better. And this is, of course, why when you shine a light at a cat or a dog in the dark, you see this kind of reflective thing. It's because of the light hitting these crystals and being reflected back. Uh, you can do it with a human, but you need a very powerful light and you have to hold it very close and it's not very typical because we don't have one of these nice convenient layers of crystals that we, uh, will work this way. All right, then um, if we look, if we just uh, have a, to stop me, I'm kidding. Okay, when uh, the retina, of course, is an incredibly, uh, is an incredible structure and we don't really have time to get into it, but uh, here, uh, 
Cahal essentially did hundreds of drawings of uh, different uh, uh, creatures and their, their nervous system, the retinas and the brain. And um, he used the Golgi sort of stain that uh, was invented or discovered by this person here, Golgi. And essentially, uh, it's a silver nitrate stain, so it stains nervous tissue black here as against the, the yellow. And he, he already, each of these is a kind of little work of art, these hundreds of diagrams that he did, and that was interesting with the art and the science and so forth. But he was able to identify already uh, these large and small ganglion cells and these receptors here, uh, cones and rods, and had a, had a you know, very obviously uh, you know, fantastic idea of what these things were already and what they were, were for and so forth. And so the two of them eventually won the Nobel Prize for their work in improving our understanding of the central nervous system. Of course, today we can go to a website like this and we can see all kinds of healthy rats and uh, you know, not so healthy rats and uh, they also suffer from the same sort of eye disease as we do sometimes. Um, when I qualified, you only had a light and the thermoscope, you shone it in the eye, you looked at the retina. Now students, of course, have things like this. Uh, here's the vitreous, this is the retina, this is our fovea, where we, when we look at an object, we direct our fovea towards that object. Uh, not a healthy system. He has this kind of pigmentary layer, this red or orangey. There are gaps. There's, uh, it's kind of got an elevation in one part. And there's sort of spaces here, sort of cystic sort of spaces. And this is all irregular. So this eye wouldn't see very well. And there's some disease um, present basically in this eye. Uh, the, the choroid, which is sitting at the back here, of course, is kind of like a swamp full of blood. There's lots of blood vessels, and it's, nu it's, nut it's supplying nutrients to the receptor layer, which is sitting just above this pigment, the, red, the sort of orangey-red part. Um, we also have, we don't have one yet, a scanning laser ophthalmoscope, but uh, optometrists and ophthalmologists all over the world are using them, and if the dean's got any money left over often tonight, well, we'd like one. But um, especially one with an adaptive optic system like this, because you can see the resolution is a lot better, and we're actually seeing tiny little rods and cones, and we can diagnose disease. We don't see it quite as well as this, but uh, you don't have to kind of remove the eye and prepare it and put it on a microscope slide, and patients tend to not like that much. <laughs> All right, I mentioned there was this difference in the retina between uh, vertebrates and invertebrates. And so something like an invertebrate without a sort of spine, essentially over here, uh, these sort of receptors are, are near the front. And so the light comes here and it hits the receptors directly, whereas in our, our, our eye, it has to travel through a whole lot of cells and neurons and all sorts of things before it actually gets to the receptor layer. And at first, some people thought, well, this was a bad design, basically. Um, but of course it's important because of the nutrient supply and things like birds will have a thing called a pectin which is, uh, they have an avascular retina but they've got a pectin which is full of blood vessels and it's uh, sitting in the vitreous and their receptors are closer to where this pectin is. And so it's basically relating to where the creature is and what kind of environment it lives in and how it's adapted uh, to function effectively in that environment. Uh, some examples of what we've been talking about, the retina with the fovea there, which was the disease sort of fovea we looked at previously, the optic nerve. He has this reflective thing that we see because of these crystals behind the retina which shines like back. Uh, he has the pectin that, we, that has all these blood vessels and is supplying this sort of retina. Uh, he has an eye with an owl. It's an owl and it's been dilated. They put a drug in the eye to dilate the iris. And so you can see then you've got, the, there's this orangey part which is the iris. Uh, there's a cataract here. It's opaque. Uh, there's pigment and it's subluxated, so it's trauma. You experience some sort of trauma, and uh, it's just showing you this sort of thing. Of course, birds are very interesting because they have, uh, they're more reliant on vision perhaps than we are even. If you can imagine an eagle, it's flying through the sky when it swoops uh, almost 200 or 300 kilometers per hour. 
can see things at about one or, or one and a half kilometers, about four times or eight times better vision than we have. And of course, when this thing is swooping down on its prey, and it's going at 200 to 300 uh, kilometers per hour, uh, you, uh, one hasn't got much room for air. You don't want to be smashing into the ground at that uh, kind of situation. How much time do I have? 15. 15, so.